The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. My best friend gave me the best advice. He said each day's a gift and not a given right. Leave no stone unturned. Leave your fears behind. And try to take the path less traveled by. That first step you take is the longest ride. There are entrepreneurs that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They are creating businesses that really add value to others, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, Inspiration for the Entrepreneurial Mind with Chris Cooper. If you're looking for ways to develop your entrepreneurial spirit while you contribute to a better world, you'll want to stay tuned for the next hour. Now, here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of Be More, Achieve More. Welcome to the show, and thank you for the feedback on the show last week uh, with, the, with Meta Block, uh, who shared her thoughts uh, so eloquently on developing a winning mentality. So, you know, thank you, Meta, and what a great guest you were. Um, one of the key questions that most people face at some time or other is that they don't know what they want. You know, people often know what they don't want. However, what they do want can be a different matter. So to be really successful, it does help if you know where you're heading. You know, therefore, understanding what you want can be very much a creative process, and it can take up quite a lot of time and energy. You know, for me, when I was 28, I was at a crossroads in my life, and a friend told me to stop moping about and go on a personal development course. And the experience just transformed my life. You know, for the first time, I wrote down a set of goals for the year and also a vision for what life would be like when I reached 40. I chose 40 because I could never, ever imagine being that old, so I could be completely outrageous. And I imagined myself with everything around me, a beautiful home and financial freedom, and you know, you guess, guess it, 40 soon arrived, and, um, and everything I'd really wanted um, had arrived. So vision and visualization are just so powerful. Now, on today's show, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome a man who, who knows all about vision and also following his passions. He's, he's so multi-talented. Um, his name is Johnny e. Regan. Um, he's a movie actor, a director, an inspirational speaker, um, an acting coach, an author, a brilliant musician, an artist, and now he's actually also a Wild West cowboy. Now, I met John several years ago on a speaking course, and we quickly struck up a rapport, and I began to realize what a fascinating man he was. He's been in over 20 movies, including some very famous ones in his early career, like The Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines and The Heroes of Telemark, meeting and working with people like Richard Burton and Sean Connery. He was telling me yesterday how strange it was to turn on the television last, last week and there he was in a movie called The Victors with George Peppard and George Hamilton and at the time he was only 21. One of John's books is called Yes He Can and John very much has a can-do rags to success story that I think you'll find truly inspirational and it proves that anyone can make the most of themselves from any background and at whatever age. 
John was brought up in war-torn London, however he spent most of his life living in Australia, hence his Aussie accent. Uh, now in his early 70s, he's recently been learning how to be a Wild West cowboy rider with uh, a famous horse whisperer called Frankie Lin Levinson. John's already been a great inspiration to his sons, who um, one who's in a very successful Australian rock band called the Gin Club, and the other son is an international web development and marketing expert who I believe is getting married in just over a week. So we wish him well and his bride and a wonderful future together. To, to achieve what John has achieved and is continuing to achieve, I think is remarkable and it requires great vision. There's a principle that I love which is called act as if. Um, I was sharing that with some great people on a, on a course I was running earlier in the week. You know, let's see what wisdom someone who's made a career in acting can share with us that may help us with our own personal and business developments. So welcome, John. It's a, a real pleasure to have you join the show today. Hi, Chris, and uh, thanks for that great introduction. And also, uh, good morning to all of your wonderful listeners across America. Yeah, it's nice to be here on the show. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it's uh, it's amazing how this show brings uh, you know people together at different time zones. It's now uh, 4 p.m. over here in the UK on uh, on what's becoming a, an autumnal day. Um, John, uh, can we start with you? You know, describing to us your childhood. So you know, to help anyone who's thinking that with you know my background or education, my horizons might be limited. Yes, of course. Um, <laughs> my childhood was um, had a bit of a disastrous start, really, because I was born uh, uh, just at the beginning of the Second World War. And um, all I can remember when, uh, when I was about two or three years of age was bombs and, and London was being blitzed and there was death and destruction and fire all around me. It was um, even as a, a baby, I'm sure I experienced the horror that was going on at that time. It was, uh, I was living in a house with my mother who had to raise five children. My father was in the army at the time, fighting over there in, in uh, France and Germany. And uh, so it was a, a rather traumatic time for any child to be brought into the world. And um, I remember one time, the earliest I was told about it, I was, I was about three years of age when uh, we were all ushered down to the air raid shelters that were in the local park around from where we were living in London. And uh, the bombs were falling and uh, after the, the raid finished and the, the long wailing siren let us know that it was uh, the all clear, um, my mother brought us kids out of the, out of the shelter uh, to find that our house was just a smouldering load of rubble uh, with a fire engine outside. So we were literally left with the pyjamas that we were standing up in with absolutely nothing at all. Uh, and this, this is the way it went on. They, they decided uh, because of the situation where we had nowhere to live and nowhere to go that they would evacuate us children. So myself and uh, my brothers and my sister were evacuated away from London for a, for a, nearly three years, actually. I was three and I came back when I was six. While I was away, I lived in a, in a house uh, in Cornwall uh, with a very wealthy family, quite a well-off family. And the, the, the master of the house, the, the husband of the family was an, Ameri uh, an Australian army officer who was uh, fighting in the war. And uh, I grew up for three years in, in quite uh, a luxurious surroundings, really. Then I went back to London, of course, and once again, the bombing was 
blasting London and uh, V2 rockets and V1 rockets were, were absolutely wiping out the town. And would you believe, uh, once again, the house that I was living in uh, was just totally demolished with a huge bomb. So in a way, we were unlucky that we were bombed out and left with nothing. But in a way, um, twice uh, our lives were saved. I suppose if you look at it on the positive side of that, that we weren't absolutely smashed. <laughs> and so... Um, that's how I sort of started my early childhood, with just death and destruction and dirt and, and debris all around us. And I started to grow up like that as a child from seven to eight to nine. The war finished, of course, but that, uh, that didn't mean that we were any better off. My father, um, all the fathers, of course, started coming home from the war, all the soldiers that had been fighting over there. Uh, but my father didn't come home. Um, and the reason for that was that while he was over there in Germany, he'd uh, met a, a very attractive German lady and decided to uh, stay over there with her. I suppose you could call it another slant on uh, active service. <laughs> but he, uh, he eventually divorced my mother and, and uh, went to live in Germany with this German lady. So once again, my mother was left with nothing, just the five kids that she had to raise. And... Our playgrounds, Chris, were literally the the bombed out houses and and piles of rubble and and disused water tanks that that London was surrounded with at the time. The area I lived in was a place called Loughborough Junction. It's in between Brixton and Camberwell in London, and it was a major railway junction, uh, which made it a legitimate target for the bombs of the uh, Luftwaffe. Uh, except that they didn't hit the railway. They hit all the houses all around the railway, uh, including ours, uh, but they didn't hit the railway. So we were surrounded with this, this literal desert of bombed out houses, and they were our playgrounds. We were like feral children, just running around in the dirt and digging in the dirt, because for us as kids, these were our, our, our treasure troves, our, our treasure islands, we would dig into the, into the dirt and the, the rubble and, and the mud and, and the, the, the debris for treasure. We would be looking for treasure. We'd find a, a spoon or, or a clock or, or an old faded photograph or something like that. And, you know, sometimes we find body parts bones, you know, or pieces of a skull or something like that. And of course, this we had to uh, report to the police because uh, um, the recovery squads probably missed out on some people. And, and it was great fun to watch these recovery squads searching through our playgrounds looking for, for the body parts. And we'd be looking for shrapnel and, and souvenirs from pieces of shells and pieces of uh, anti-aircraft or, or planes that had been shot down you know it was quite a an interesting time but that was that was the way i was brought up and that's the way i was raised uh, from the years up to about uh, 10 or 11 or 12 years of age so you're surrounded yeah so yeah so you were surrounded by all the you know war-torn britain uh, how how did you you know start to develop a you know maybe a, maybe a brighter vision of the future what were the catalysts for for change for you well, you know, Chris, there, was, there wasn't a lot of anything really good to look forward to in those days because we didn't know any, any better than, than death or destruction. And as, as kids, we, we didn't know, you know, this was the norm for us. 
And and the only time that I suddenly saw got a glimpse of the of a different world was when my mother would allow us to go to the Saturday morning movies, uh, which was especially put on for children. And it cost about uh, sixpence or something like that to get into the movies. And I would go into the movies and sit there in the front row and watch um, these movies. Westerns, usually. I loved the Westerns. They were, they were heroes. Uh, they were usually singing cowboys like Roy Rogers or Bill Boyd, uh, Johnny Mac Brown. And it was, for me, it was pure escapism. I wanted to be one of these guys riding the range and playing guitar and, and, uh, and shooting the baddies and, and things like that. It was a different world to me. I didn't know whether it was real, whether there were people in, in America who actually did ride horses and wear cowboy hats but, uh, at that time. But uh, for me, it was, uh, it was great escapism, you know. Oh, that's amazing. So, that, uh, so actually seeing what these people had and you know and that their lives uh sort of inspired you did it to you know maybe to start thinking about acting as a career well yeah i think that's when it when it was instilled in me as watching the uh, watching the movies and the saturday morning movies and then of course um there were other types of movies in those days most of them were propaganda you know during the war and, and things like that but um it was something that took me away from all this, all the rubble and and the, uh, the the desolation and things like that. And and I think that's when the seed was planted in my head as a very young person, that I wanted to be and do and go somewhere that was better than where I was living at the time. Yeah. So, so so how would you how would you define vision? Well, vision, of course, is what you see and what you see is uh, is a picture in your head uh, uh, it's a picture that comes through your eyes it, it's just reflected light off of whatever you're looking at and it comes into your mind and and it's changed into a picture of what you're looking at and so in my interpretation of vision is thoughts that become pictures i i think that's uh, a pretty way of putting it at the moment anyway <clears throat> and is, is that uh you know thoughts that become pictures related to your you know the things that you would like to desire to have or be or do well yes it was um i remember watching a movie uh, later on in life with mario lanza yeah, and uh, i decided i wanted to be a singer like mario lanza although i never really made it <laughs> But uh, it was, it was, it was the, the world out there for me, the people, was in pictures. Fantastic. Well, we're just about to go to a commercial break now, John. So we'll, we'll continue with that in a, in a few moments. It's great, Chris. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network if you're looking for creative ways to improve your bottom line 
tune in to Make Your Move with Alan and Brian Bolio. Their proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you planned for your retirement yet? If you are a public sector employee, perhaps not. Studies have shown that employees of schools, educational institutions, governments, nonprofits, and public safety may lack the information they need to effectively prepare for retirement. For the answers you need, tune in to Lessons in Retirement, Retirement Planning for Public Sector Employees with host Jim Bishop, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's sure to pay off in your future. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leave no stone unturned. Leave your fears behind. And try to take the path less traveled by. That first step you take is the longest ride. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and I'm with uh, AXA. Uh, Johnny Regan, and we're talking about uh, vision and visualization. Uh, so, John, I was just sort of reflecting on our call, and I was wondering, you, you know, why is it um, difficult for many people to create a, a clear vision for the future? And I suppose the same goes for companies as well. Well, the, 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 the hardest part about it is that when I mentioned there about um, vision being pictures in your mind created by your thoughts, um, a lot of people have difficulty in creating positive thoughts in their mind. All they tend to do is to create negative thoughts. And a negative thought in your, in your mind will create a negative emotion or a negative picture. And that usually leads to negative actions, which finishes up with a negative result. The secret, of course, is to, is to try and think of something positive, something that you you want to do not rather something that you don't want to do or you don't want to happen uh, and that's the way to make the the positive picture it's it's very very important for instance if you are if you are ill or suffering from ill health you know if you if you think about um getting well and 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 put all your positive thinking into say i'm going to get better and this is not going to last forever i'm going to be fine uh, you will, will eventually get better. If you think about dying, you will die. It's as, literally as simple as that. It's, it's the way you direct your thoughts either positively or mentally. And all those thoughts are pictures that you create in your mind. Mm. I, I, I just want, I just wonder, John, with you know, the background that you had, is how you managed to you know, uh, take in lots of positive um, sort of news and information that would help you create a very positive vision for the future when everything actually around you was quite dark and you know you, you said your father was uh, living in a different country and 
you know, how, how did you manage yes. to uh, focus on some positive images? And also, I guess, the, the other thing is to, you know, the language around you as you were growing up, I imagine, wasn't always that positive. No, it wasn't. Uh, as, as I mentioned, I, as a child, I was in, in a, a very, very dark place. You know, there were lots and lots of husbands who never came home, of course, and, and there was lack of everything. So I suppose in a way, the only thing that kept the, the resilience of the, the English people in those days was to, to look to the future and 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 say literally that uh, well things couldn't get any worse you know when you're when you're on the bottom when you're sitting on the bottom the only way is up and i think i took that as as um, my own inspiration because i had to think to myself this is there's got to be something better than this you know and i'd seen it in the movies i'd seen i'd seen how other people started to recover around me you know, people would come back from the war and they'd suddenly be wearing nicer clothes than I was and and suddenly cars began appearing on the streets and people were patching up their houses and, and we were all going to school and I noticed uh, when I went to school as a as a child I I we had hand me down clothes and and there were yet there were people there with with better better looking clothes and, and you know, better lunches. I would go to school with bread and jam in my lunchbox, and others would would have a, uh, some nice rations. Even though food was rationed at the time, there were people who were who were looking forward and creating better lives for themselves. Uh, and my mother and, and our family were still struggling. There was there was um, not much to look forward to, and yet there was a, a movement towards. A better way of life as as England and London began to recover. Uh, I think that started it, and I thought, well, things can get better than this, you know. And I I started wanting that. I wanted to be better. I wanted to to be better off, and and to eat better food, and to wear nice clothes, and to be able to speak better, and and to look better. Uh, they were all little things that, as a child and and an early, you know. Um, in my 12 and 13 years, I wanted to be like them. And I couldn't understand why at the time I couldn't find a way to do that, you know. Mm. And I think what, what, was, uh, what was holding me back in those days and, and something that uh, I'm sure a lot of people who fail to, to look at things in a positive light was that I thought, well, this can't happen to me. You know, I had all these little voices in my head, uh, I suppose, programmed into me from from a, a, a baby, really saying, well, we can't do this and you can't do that, John. And we don't have the money for this, John. And and you don't have the schooling and, and you don't you can't do this and you can't do that. And I was rebelling against this. And I wanted to say, well, I can I can do this, you know, but I didn't say it. For many, many years, I just just accepted the way life was and, and continued on in what I suppose I now call the rat race because it was uh, an average way of living. It was just a way to get by rather than to get on. And, uh, and for me, that was, that was the norm for, for quite a few years. It wasn't until the, later on in my life when I... I realized that I was searching for something, that I, I started to challenge these little voices. 
and I, I couldn't understand. I think I, I mentioned um, one time in, in my book that um, I, I was, uh, well, I went to Australia, of course, and uh, started a life over there. I married an Irish girl and um, while I was over in London and I married an Irish girl. I took her to Australia and I raised a family with two boys. And it was even then I was just doing the ordinary uh, mundane things that the average person uh, did. I was a used car salesman in a car yard and I was the worst used car salesman in the world <laughs> at that time. And, uh, and I'll tell you, it's funny, it's, 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 I'll tell you exactly, I know exactly uh, when it was that happened to me. It was, uh, I was in my late 50s, I think. It was a, it was a hot summer's day in Brisbane, in Queensland, in Australia, and I was on my way to work in, in, uh, as a used car salesman. And I was about to receive the award for being the worst car salesman of the month for the <laughs> second month's running, which usually ended in, in being sacked anyway. But uh, I was sitting at the traffic lights in the, in the morning in the heat in my old beaten up Datsun skyline and pulling silently up beside me at the traffic lights, which were red, was a gleaming white Rolls-Royce Corniche convertible with the top down. And sitting beside me, sitting, sitting in the steering wheel, uh, with the steering wheel in this Corniche uh, convertible was a young man of about 35 years of age. And he looked fantastic. He had a, a hint of designer streaks in his hair. He had these beautiful Ray-Ban sunglasses on and, and he had music playing on his stereo. It was uh, Ray Charles was singing, hey mama, don't you treat me wrong. Come on, I love you daddy, you're not. And it was, and his hand was tapping on the steering wheel of the car in time with the music. And I could see the sun reflecting on this beautiful Rolex watch that he was wearing. And he glanced across at me as I was sitting there staring at him like a fool. And he gave a, a, just a, s a smile and, and, and as the lights changed, he cruised away. And I, I suddenly thought to myself, how is it that somebody like that, a young man, um, is rich and successful and driving a beautiful car, and yet I'm sitting around, I'm probably just as smart as that guy, but I'm really literally a failure, I'm, I'm just struggling away to find my way around the world and I didn't go to uh, <laughs> I didn't go to work that day I just quit my job straight away and it put me in search of a, an answer to a question and, and that question was how is it that uh, a young man like that who could be smart and successful uh, compared to another man who's a total failure and I started to read books from uh, motivational speakers. I started going to personal development seminars and it was absolutely amazing, enlightening thing to, to think that people can do this. And yet all the time I was reading these books and listening to these, these uh, American, usually uh, motivational gurus, that uh, I thought, well, it's all right for them, but it's no, I can't do this. I can't do that and I can't do this. And then I suddenly thought to myself, well, I can. If I really want to, I can I can change my way I think about my life, and so I did. I I, uh, I went to a seminar uh, in Brisbane, and I met this guy called Bob Proctor, and he said to me, 
well, what he said to all of us in the crowd, there was about 50 or 60 people in the crowd, he said, uh, why is it that only 1% of the people earn all the money in the world? And that really got me thinking. 1% of the entire world's population own nearly all the money in the world. And uh, you know the answer he gave? The answer he gave was so simple and so easy to understand that it was almost incredible. The answer he gave was that the rest of us are programmed to settle for less. Mm. Mm. It's very, uh, <coughs> very powerful stuff. Very powerful stuff. Um, so, um, you know, thinking about how, how did you how did you just overcome the fear though? I mean, you uh, you must at that point, I guess, started to create a vision about being an actor and what have you. How did how did you you know overcome the fear um, of taking you know taking the steps that would lead you to where you wanted to be? Well, that was that was the that's what made me I think slightly different. This goes back to before. Um, before I got married, before I went to Australia, uh, as I mentioned, I always loved to be see these cowboys in these movies, and, and I had this dream of of becoming an actor. And so, I remember applying to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, and going for an interview with a man called John Fernald, and he interviewed me, and uh, and he said, yes, we could, we could. Um, we could enroll you in the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. It, it's sixty pounds a term, and there were three terms of the year. Now, sixty pound was like six thousand pound today. <laughs> and I didn't have sixty pence, let alone sixty pounds. So I, I told my mother, and she said, "Well, you, of course you can't, John. You can't go to this uh, thing because we don't have the money." Um, it's a story I've been hearing, you know, ever since I was born. So. I had to put that on hold and finally I met a, a friend of mine who said why don't you try the Stanislavski studio in Putney it's a drop-in place and you can go there and um, pay pay a few shillings a day and you just drop in and, and learn a bit about acting that way and I did and it was much cheaper than the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts so I went there for literally two years learning all about how to become a method actor uh, using Stanislavski's methods. And that changed my life completely. It gave me uh, a huge amount of confidence. It, it raised my self-esteem absolutely sky high. And it created something that uh, a, a destination, it created a path, a roadway that I wanted to follow Fantastic. for the rest of my life. Fantastic, John. Well, we're just about to go to another commercial break. I look forward to continuing the conversation in a moment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Entrepreneurial Insights is your weekly excursion into the world of business ownership. Presented by Sunbelt Business Brokers, the leading business brokerage and intermediary firm in the world, Entrepreneurial Insights will examine critical issues that impact both existing and prospective business owners. If you own or want to own a small business, listen for Entrepreneurial Insights with John Davies, Pino Boccinello, and Matt Ottaway. Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network. 
the bottom line in business. Leave no stone unturned. Leave your fears behind. And try to take the path less traveled by. That first step you take is the longest ride. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper with Johnny Regan, a movie actor, and we're talking about vision and visualization. Uh, now, clearly, John, you know, from those um, early stages of becoming an actor, you, know, you went on to become a, a very successful actor, and I'm going to talk a little bit about your experiences about that further on in, in the program. But I think one of the things that maybe people are wondering right now is, you know, from your perspective... You know, what are the steps you would recommend to develop a really compelling vision? Well, it all started with me as, a, as an actor. Um, when you see yourself as a, as a character, um, and one of the main things that Stanislavski would say um, was that uh, you have to know your intentions of the character. In other words, what, why the character is saying something and why he's doing something. And that why is usually a picture of what uh, a result that they want to achieve. And so the visualization for me was that I never, and, and I, even to this day, I never wanted to be a super duper movie star, but I could see myself visually on stage uh, in plays and and in movies, doing quite well, and I always knew that I was uh, that I would do well. In in I was positive in my in my mind that I could do this, and I was open to any challenge. Um, and I think that is the secret of 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 vision generally is is to see the end picture, and that end picture, of course, has to be a positive result. Uh, in whatever you're thinking about, you know, um, if you really dig right into it, you know, visions and and uh, begin with thoughts, and everything that you see uh, or, or or look around you, and and you see everything that you see started with a thought. Maybe the chair you're sitting on, or the or the the. The computer you're looking at, or the the curtains in your room, or the ceiling, or the or the car outside your house, they all began with a, with a thought, uh, and somebody thought that, and it created a picture in that person's mind, and that person was then able to uh, pass that on to that same thought on to designers who created the uh, tangible result that people think of. Everything you see around you that has been made by man originally started with a thought and of course if those thoughts had all been negative uh, <laughs> there would have been some terrible things scattered around you because we know what negative thoughts do they bring bring terrible uh, situations to you if you if you just all, all you think about is bad things or things not working uh, if Edison had given up or the man who designed the Brooklyn Bridge had, had given up um, and all these things uh, come from that positive thought. And that positive thought, as, I, as you mentioned before, is a vision. 
It's a vision in your mind. And that vision is something that you can sum up time and time and time again. And without going too much into quantum physics, uh, thoughts are also electric, microelectrical um, signals that travel out into the ether and uh, can be attracted and connect with other similar wavelengths of, of thought and bring to you things that you're thinking about. It's, it's, uh, I won't go too far into that because it's not otherwise known as the law of attraction. But thinking about the, a good end result is the way to go. Um, if you see yourself in your mind doing something that you've never done before and succeeding at it, you're halfway there. The, the thought is there and all you have to do is to see the end result in your mind and work backwards. Here I am, you know, I always wanted to be a classical pianist. So if you can see yourself playing the, the piano in the Albert Hall in London to, to 7,000 people, a big classical recital, and see yourself there and say, that's what I want to do, that's what I am, I'm a classical pianist, and then work backwards. How do I get to do that? And it's amazing how the great people who, the doers of this world, the people who make things happen, all have this thought in their mind. They call it a vision. I have a vision for the future, you know. Uh, I have a dream, you know, Martin Luther King's great speech. You can call it a dream, you can call it a vision, you can call it a a goal or, or an inspiration or, or a, a wish or a hope for, but it's all a thought that goes into your mind creating that picture. And the thing that holds so many people back from creating these positive thoughts is firstly they, their mind and their subconscious is filled with negatives, negative thoughts, uh, which become excuses. You know, people people have a self-defeating attitude when it comes to making choices in their life. They, they blame their environment or their upbringing or their government or their boss or their, their spouse or their, you know, their, their lack of knowledge, lack of skills, lack of money, lack of times. You know, for some people, it's far easier to curse the darkness than to light a candle. And so they live uh, in a world of procrastination and they don't act on the thoughts, even though they would love to uh, if you ask them, if you said to somebody, would you like to be a millionaire? They'll say, of course I would. But to actually put those thoughts into action, uh, people are bombarded with excuses why they can't. You know? And I changed my life by saying, well, yes, I can. I can do this and I will do this. You know, I think it's uh, Tony Robbins who said, well, when you can't, you must. And if you must, you can. Uh, and I've worked on that for, for many, many years now, and it's been proved time and time again. As I mentioned before, just look around you. Everything you see, the table, the chair, the, the, the clothes you're wearing, the food you're eating, the, you know, the music you're listening to, all began with a thought in somebody's mind that was positive and was created and put out there for the benefit of, of, of mankind, literally. Another... 
sorry, Chris, what you were saying? I was just going to say, I've also heard it said, and it's a distinction that that I found quite quite helpful in, in the idea of a thought actually coming to you in and the description of a thought being a thing and actually that thought wouldn't have come to you if uh, if it would if you weren't somebody capable of actually achieving it so and that's quite that's quite a nice way of thinking about it because it sort of takes away the the feeling of actually i could never actually have that do you know what i mean or achieve it yes exactly yeah and thoughts do come from other places you know how often do you hear somebody say oh i just had a brainwave or something just crossed my mind or or I had an idea or a hunch or uh, something flashed you know uh, I had a quick flash in my mind where do these flashes and these ideas and and these these things come from they they come from outside of our our normal thinking and if you are if your mind and is open enough to receive those into what we call our intuition and you act on those thoughts uh, this is the whole secret of success. You know, you can visualize, uh, to give an example, being successful uh, by taking examples from uh, sportsmen, uh, for instance, like Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas, uh, famous golfers. They would actually visualize the ball going into the into the hole, the golf ball going into the hole from a 30-foot putt. They would visualize this mentally time and time and time again, long before they ever actually struck the ball. And it's the same with basketball players. They, they would uh, throw hundreds of baskets mentally in their mind and see that ball going into the basket from, from way out on the court. And... Um, in fact, there was a study done. I'm not sure when it was done and, and which university. It might have been UCLA that uh, they got a, a team of basketball players to practice with the basketball, throwing in uh, baskets on the court over and over and over again for a week and to see how many baskets they could, could uh, do physically. And then they had another little group just throwing baskets mentally for a week. And all they did was just keep throwing mentally these these base basketball into the net mentally. And at the end of the, the, the experiment, they put the two together, uh, physically throwing basketballs in, and there was no difference in the two. They, they, the, the ones that had been practicing physically for a, a couple of weeks were no better than the ones who, who did it mentally. So there's something to be said for visualizing uh, where the end result of what you want, like a tennis player would, would visualize exactly where he wants his ball to go before he hits it. The snooker player, the the sprinter who visualizes himself crossing that line, the, the swimmer who's swimming the channel, sees himself coming across and, and walking up the beach at the opposite side. It's all visual uh, results and they're all positive. They're all an end result. Uh, it's... it's uh, it's an amazing thing when you when we start thinking about it, and yet it is so simple. It's you know because if you're you're having problems with anything, uh, and, uh, there's two ways you can do this. You, if you if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you're right again. You can't. It's what you think, and your thinks uh, what you think uh, will guide your actions. Thinking uh, positive thoughts 
is another way to crowd out negatives. I, I don't have a, uh, a negative thought in my, in my body at all now. It's not in my, literally, in my armory, as I call it, because uh, I refuse to have negatives. It's, uh, I think there's always polarity, of course, what my son calls Murphy's Law, where there's a, you know, a good and a bad and an up and a down and a left and a right. And for every opportunity, uh, there's a problem and, and vice versa. But there's, for, there's negatives and positives. And when it comes to negative and positive thoughts, the way to go is to be positive. And it's very hard for somebody to do that. Uh, but if you can, if you can look on the bright side of life, as they say in the song, um, you'll find your life entirely different. And, and any task that you give yourself will be so much easier if you look at it with, with positiveness and passion and determination and spirit and courage. All these little things add up to creating a positive result, which has been created by a positive emotion, which has been created by a positive thought. And yes, they do come from outer space sometimes, these, these, these thoughts. They come from, from, like I mentioned before, other wavelengths of thoughts that are traveling out there in the ether. Uh, once again, it's, it's a quantum uh, mechanics thing, but uh, it definitely works. And I think that if you want to change your life, I always say, if you want to change your life, change your thinking. Uh, and your life will change, and your your perception of your life will change, because you can change the, the perception. The way we way we perceive our lives uh, is very very important. You can perceive it in a negative way or a positive way. I think it was William Shakespeare who said, "Nothing is good nor bad, but thinking makes it so." He was so yeah. right. Nothing is good yeah. or bad, but thinking makes it so. Yeah. And that makes sense. Does that make uh, sense? Completely, completely, John. I'm just sitting here thinking about some of the things I've visualized. I remember you mentioned Bob Proctor earlier. I, I visualized meeting Bob, and actually within about nine months, um, I met him, and I'm actually looking at a photo at the moment um, on my wall um, from when I met him. Um, yeah. we'll, talk, we'll talk about uh, maybe vision boards after the break, because uh, I think they're also, uh, you know, by putting things down onto a vision board, um, they can help us to keep them in mind. Absolutely. So I think we just... So we're just about to go to uh, a final uh, commercial break before the last segment. So um, I shall hand over very shortly to Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are there any challenges to your success? You already have what it takes to turn these challenges into results in any area. Find out more when you tune in to The Power of Realism, Why Integrity Matters, with host Jeffrey Canavan. We all deal with adversity and challenges in life and business. We'll talk with those individuals who have faced these challenges and turned them into success stories. By making just a few shifts in your thinking, you too can be one of these success stories. The Power of Realism airs live on Thursdays at 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific time on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Leave no stone unturned. Leave your fears behind. And try to take back. 
tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper with uh, movie actor John E. Regan, and we're uh, talking about vision and visualization. Uh, so, John, one thing I wanted to ask you was, um, I know that as a young actor, you, you know, had the opportunity to meet and work with people like Richard Burton and Sean Connery, and I, I just wondered how valuable uh, you think having mentors is. Well, yes, it's... Um it's very, very, uh, very valuable at all. I still have mentors to this day, and I'm always looking for uh, for new mentors. But as a as an actor working um, from the Stanislavski studio in London, uh, we were told, you know, um, don't don't speak to the to the the big stars on the set because they're they're getting into character or they're trying to remember their lines or they they've got a special scene they're trying to get the emotion up with, you know. And, and I respected that, but there were times when I'd see um, the actors, especially like Sean Connery or Richard Burton, where they wouldn't be, you could tell that they were not trying to get into a character or, or learn their lines. They were just sitting around casually speaking to other people. And so I thought, well, I'm an actor too. I, I had this self-esteem and this confidence and this this determination that I was an actor, not a not a student uh, or somebody learning to be an actor. I was an actor, and I was a method actor <laughs> at that, uh, because I'd trained with the Stanislavski uh, system, which was very big at the time, of course, and a lot of great actors uh, developed the Stanislavski system to uh, to great effect. Marlon Brando and, and Robert Duvall and, and De Niro and, and so many others used the Stanislavski methods uh, very effectively in movies. And that's what I was. I was an actor. So I just made conversation with Sean Connery and I told him that I was an actor and, and I asked him some uh, relevant questions, not necessarily about acting, but... Uh, uh, what other what other likes did he like? And, and I noticed that Sean Connery at the time, he was um, he'd been a bodybuilder. He was a, he trained with weights, and he had an incredible physique at the time. And uh, he was doing some press ups on the grass. And of course, I was into bodybuilding at the time as well. So I went over to him and I asked him. You know, we started speaking about weight training and, and bodybuilding, and we got into an incredible com uh, conversation. He was telling me about certain exercises that he did, and uh, exercises that I was I was trying in the gym. And we we found that we had um, respect for different um, champion athlete bodybuilders, and. So there I was sitting there talking about something entirely different from movies. I wasn't asking for autographs or anything like that. We were talking about bodybuilding. And people were walking past looking at me and saying, who's he? You know, is he another main actor in the movie or whatever, you know. But I got a great buzz out of that. And I, I worked the same thing again uh, with uh, Richard Burton. Uh, I was in a movie called Beckett all about the life of Thomas the Beckett and in the movie were Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole and it was early in the morning we were sitting on the set in uh, MGM Studios in, in England and um, 
Richard Burton was sitting on this small sort of hillock and he was all dressed up in his medieval gear and, and Peter O'Toole was dressed up in armour and as a, as a knight and sitting on this horse. And I just casually walked over to them and started talking about different things. And I didn't really know much about Richard Burton at the time, but I knew Peter O'Toole. And so we started chatting. We were talking about singing when he when he mentioned uh, I said you've got a Welsh accent and he started and asked we started talking about singing because I was very interested in singing as well and how the Welsh are famous for their voices and of course Richard Burton had a fabulous speaking voice at the time and I told him that I was an actor and I'd just graduated from the Stanislavski studio and etc and so we sat there talking on on this hillock. And lo and behold, Elizabeth Taylor came along and sat down next to us. So she was just going with Richard Burton at the time. And so we had a wonderful uh, um, conversation there. And once again, my, my self-esteem and my, my standing, my personal standing to myself was absolutely incredible. You know, when I, I spoke to my friends afterwards and said, um, well, I was speaking to Elizabeth Taylor today, and they went, oh, yeah, yeah, pull the other one. <laughs> but it was it was something that I, I was never overwhelmed with. Um, people who are talented, people who are, are successful will accept you. If, if you, are, you have a general, general a genuine reason to, to speak to them, um, and people will help you. I got some great tips from from Richard Burton and and from Sean Connery about different things and about acting and 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 how they behave on the set. And it's the same with anything. If you want to, if you want to find a mentor, you know, find somebody who who has been successful at what you want to do. If you want to be a millionaire, for instance, you don't ask a poor man because a poor man would just ridicule you and, and give you all hundreds of reasons why you'll never be a millionaire simply because they weren't. But if you ask a millionaire and say, I'm, I'm, I want to be a millionaire like you, nine times out of ten, that millionaire will say, well, good on you. I'll give you help. I'll help you if you want to. And so mentors are very, very important. Chris, you mentioned about Bob Proctor. Um, uh, I met Pro Bob Proctor in London at a, at a seminar there, and he's a fabulous guy. And he had the same idea. He was... Uh, he was just a poor young man going around uh, at age 26, not knowing where he wanted to go. And then suddenly he uh, he met a mentor and the mentor changed his mind. Uh, I won't go through the whole Bob Proctor story, but uh, he became a successful man too. He changed his thinking and, and his vision for his future. Uh, and, and he became a, a millionaire within two years. So... Anything is possible. Uh, I, I might uh, give you an idea that also when you're creating visions for yourself, it's very handy to have what they call a vision board. If you want something really bad or if you want to go to a, a country or, or you want to be somebody, uh, if you get yourself a board and you cut out pictures of, say, the, the BMW car you want to drive or the, or the type of house you'd like to live in or a beautiful uh, Australian beach you'd like to stroll along or, or even just big piles of banknotes that you'd like to have in your possession. If you put them up on a board and look at those pictures every day, they will help you to reinforce the thought that you have in your mind 
which is your vision and they will help you to reinforce your vision and your vision will become stronger and stronger which will create strength in the emotion that it creates in your in your soul and then of course will help you to get an even stronger determination a stronger passion for the end result so vision boards can be very very um, uh, useful in that respect some people say they're handy some people say they're not but i i uh, i swear by vision boards uh yeah me, me too uh, look john this uh it's been a absolute privilege to talk to you today and uh, I've, I've taken lots of things from this and i'm sure lots of people who are listening in at the moment uh, also are and hopefully at some point we'll get to talk to you again and because i think there's an awful lot more that we can explore with you um but you know some of the the key messages that i've really you know t take from this is that you know vision is so important and you know if you're for, for yourself as an individual and also for you know if you've got a company um so people know where they're heading and you know the, using the art of visualization really helps your performance so thank you again john that's been uh, uh, great for you to be on the call. I'd also just like to say that our next week's show we'll be talking to Brian Main and Carol Macy and Brian's an author and creator of a system called Goal Mapping which is helping millions of people and businesses to understand what they want so they can channel energy into doing the right thing. So we'll look at goals in a much more uh, detailed level next week. Um, that'll be the same time again at 8am uh, Pacific and 4pm for our next show and John Thanks again, mate. It was brilliant. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. We thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week.